the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, uh, historic day, historic day. You know, um, uh, there's no other uh, way to say it, no other thing you can say. Uh, It's a historic day. Um, You know, the president of the United States is, uh, former president, is uh, charged with a bunch of crimes, uh, a 34-charge indictment. Um, a really, truly a crazy, crazy turn of events um, and um, not good for the country, not good for the country, I have to say. Um, and it, it's um, it is stu- the, the charges are silly. It is outrageous that it's being done. Even Van Jones, you know, Van Jones, who is definitely a uh, a liberal, it, you know, there's no doubt about that in every, in every way, really. Um, and he, he said that this is a terrible idea. This whole thing is a terrible idea. Seven years after this is, um, uh, happened, you know, seven years after, uh, all this is, uh, gone on. And, you know, he's, why is this happening? Right. And it's just crazy. So, uh, it's a bad thing for America, but I got to tell you something. I got to tell you something. Um, the thing that makes me crazy is there's a lot of other stuff happening that frankly are more important, um, than, what you're seeing. In other words, you're seeing a political hit job. Uh, but here's, here's a story that's not being covered. Here's a story that's not being covered. It, it, the corruption of this, pr- I told you last, I, tell, I told you on Friday, I think it was Friday, uh, that the corruption of this White House is beyond belief. But here's a very specific, narrow area that I want you to focus on. Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia has said he regrets uh, supporting the Inflation Reduction Act, right? The Inflation Reduction Act was this absolute boondoggle of $793 billion that was supposed to address health care and climate and all this. It included some of the Build Back Better infrastructure, but only a little bit. It was a massive giveaway, massive giveaway to lots of special interests. But here's how corrupt this is. So now he's mad because he said the law was supposed to pay down the national debt and it didn't. And, and it didn't do that. This is Manchin. Manchin knew better. He should have known better. But here's what I want to tell you. Think about what I just said to you. $793 billion of legislative aid that has been spread around to uh, address health care and climate, raise taxes, other things, supposed to reduce the national debt. It's not. But here's what I want you to hone in on. Over $300 billion with a B is being administered out of the White House through this act by John Podesta. And John Podesta came out of retirement to go work in the White House to distribute this billion. It's not, it's not, it's not, uh, it, I'm not saying millions. I'm saying billions, that there's billions of dollars that the senior clean energy and climate czar, that's John Podesta, is implementing, is giving away. And so you were, we're talking about money that's moving from the Treasury 
two left-wing organizations. And meanwhile, most of America, most of, let me say it this way, most of center-right America is uh, sitting at home and, and fuming over what's happening to Donald Trump, right? That's, that's mostly what's happening to, to center-right voters and conservatives and Republicans. They're saying, I can't believe this is happening. But at the same time that we're doing that, focusing on Trump, the Democrats are transfer, transferring massive amounts of wealth, money, to special interests on the left. And, and when, you, when you think about that, if I tell you that there's hundreds of billions of dollars, if I say there's hundreds of billions of dollars, and you, you say, well, and it's being transferred, what I want to point out to you is it's, it's kind of like this. You, you get to um, transfer this money and change the lives of, of thousands and thousands of the activists who can then keep doing the work. Because if you can give you $370 billion in climate and clean energy investment, that's what Joe Bi- John Podesta is doing. And he's transforming, transforming that wealth out into the community and changing lives. Tens of thousands of activists, of far left activists, and, and everybody else will be living their life well on our tax dollars because of this transfer of wealth. It's corruption. It's corruption. It's not picking winners and losers. It's funding the opposition. It's funding one side of the fight. And now you just have to say to yourself, um, okay, wh- what does this mean? And, and how does this play out? What it means is if you're on the right, if you're a conservative, or said a little bit more clearly, if you're in opposition to the ruling class, you will be uh, canceled or uh, prosecuted, or targeted, or uh, uh, harassed. All those things are what's in store for you if you oppose the ruling class. If you're for the ruling class, if you're part of the ruling class, you can count on money. $370 billion is what Podesta controls, but so does, so does every other department. And, and the left and the left and the Democrats don't pretend that you have to qualify for it or apply for it. They're just transforming, transferring the wealth. And so you're seeing, I mean, by the way, the Inflation Reduction Act is, is $740 billion. I told you 370 billion of that is this Podesta fund, this slush fund. And my, my point here is, as you watch, again, we're distracted. What you need to know is we're distracted by Trump and by the targeting, right? Again, they target, they prosecute, they cancel, they lawfare, they, they uh, marginalize, they drive us crazy. They're bankrupting the guy who has to, no, not bankrupting him, but he's got to spend lots of money on lawyers. That's what's happening to people on our side. You get convicted of having a bad meme. There's a guy that was convicted of having a bad meme that they said was somehow targeting the election. But if you're on their side, you can have the Hunter Biden laptop. You can have Hillary's uh, uh, emails. You can have Biden's uh, documents. You can have whatever you want. You can lie about Benghazi. You can do anything. There's no shame that is too big for the Democrats and the left. And now they're bold enough that they're just transferring the wealth. And they're making sure to fund the permanent class of people who will be either running the government or on the outside, aiding the government by running cover.
That's what's happening. That's what's happening all around us. I mean, it's not even, it's not even, um, it's not hidden. It's not, um, it's not hard to spot. So remember what you need to know is distraction by real targeting, by the way. Don't, don't get me wrong. They're really targeting. They, they got a DA. They got a, a, a district attorney, a prosecutor to trump up these charges and charge Trump. He's got three lawyers that I saw. He's had to go to court. He was arraigned. I mean, it's not, it's not fake. It's a fraud. But they're using real legal systems against him, and the media is aiding and abetting it. The narrative narrative machine is saying, this is the biggest news. Let's focus on this. That's what the narrative machine wants. It's a fraud. If the narrative, if the, if the journalism, if journalists were serious, they would be saying, what is happening here? This is terrible. This is not a real charge. These aren't real charges, but they're not. So they're targeting, they're canceling, they're prosecuting. They're putting January 6th defendants in jail and letting them sit there and rot. Forget In the last week and a half, there have been two state capitals that have been bum-rushed by leftist protesters over transgender stuff. And you haven't heard it called an insurrection. You haven't said there's a Tennessee insurrection because it's on their side. But back to my point, what you need to know is follow the money is so powerful in these cases because when you follow the money... It's not 10 million. It's not 20 million. It's $370 billion, for example, controlled by John Podesta. So he doesn't have 10 million to give away. He's got billions and he can give away 10 million here, 100 million there, 50 million here, 50 million there, over and over and over. And that's just one guy. They're not shy. They're not shy. It's not just building up the bureaucracies and saying, wow, the NIH has grown, uh, you know, in the last 30 years by this amount of budget and this number of employees. That's, that's, uh, child's play. Over the last two and a half, three years, and the Republicans and Trump fell for some of it, but a lot of it was after when Biden won. They pushed through these things. They bailed out the pensions of the unions. They covered the teachers unions with money over COVID. Massive amounts of money. And now they're doing this Podesta thing. And meanwhile, we're focused on New York City and a trumped up case, total nonsense, while the country is being betrayed and being dispersed all across the, the country to the detriment of and to the detriment of our future. That's the best way to say it. That's what you need to know. It's a it's a very, very bad moment, but it's not just bad because the craziness of the indictments. That's bad enough. It's bad because we've got a situation where we're going to see this country transformed, the country uh, uh, transformed by this wealth transfer, and it's unbelievable. It's hard to believe to follow it. All right. We've got two great interviews t- today, by the way. Uh, um, we- I'm going to um, talk to uh, uh, Ron Kessler. I haven't talked to him in a long time. We're going to catch up with him. We're also going to get a, uh, a discussion and a follow up. Another one of these books. Uh, Alan Gaff wrote a book called uh, called Field of Corpses about a, um, a general, a 1791 defeat, a great perspective on war. Uh, we'll talk with him. All right. We got to run. We got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Thank you. 
Well, welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's been a few months since our friend Ronald Kessler was on. The author, uh, investigative journalist is his, uh, uh, I guess, original background, but now he's written dozens of books. And a couple of the interesting ones or important ones focused on how uh, Secret Service works, how uh, the White House works, uh, all sorts of things. And he's got great uh, perspective. We we're just talking off the air. Uh, he wrote a, a one on uh, Palm Beach, Florida, by chance before it became famous for uh, – uh, where Donald Trump uh, winters, uh, he wrote about the social set down there. And uh, he has a piece that's out. And by the way, it's RonaldKessler.com, RonaldKessler.com to see all of his uh, stuff. Uh, he's got a piece that's out, and the uh, title is Blame Legalized Marijuana for Increased Mass Shooting. So welcome, Ronald Kessler. How are you, sir? Hey, good to be with you, Ed. So this is over on Newsmax, by the way, and I, I'll post up the link there. Um, uh, Ronald, uh, you know, I was on a, um, a talk show. And they were talking about, um, how, uh, one of the, uh, the recent shooter was, you know, troubled. Someone said they're troubled and all. And I said, okay, I, I don't mind if you're going to talk about their troubled mental health. Um, but let's be fair. Let's look at, um, some of the shooters in the last few years. Um, and, and the, not this time, the ones I'm talking about are younger men, young men. Um, and the, one of the common denominators is almost always, uh, marijuana use, heavy marijuana use. Uh, and people don't even want to talk about it somehow. It's sort of, we're supposed to not talk about it. First of all, you've been at this, um, as a journalist for 50 years. Uh, yeah, it, I've it's written it, three it, books on the FBI, which is relevant to this. Yeah. And so it's changed so dramatically and the understanding we have of what is good for us and what's not, right? Yeah. On the one hand, Democrats push for more gun control when none of the proposals would have stopped any of the mass shooters. Uh, And then on on the other hand, what has changed and what accounts for a lot of this increase in mass shootings is that the uh, potency of marijuana has gone up dramatically and the prevalence of marijuana has gone up tremendously thanks to Democrats. Uh, Now we have half of the states uh, legalizing marijuana because of Democrats uh, Politico said uh, pushing uh, legalizing marijuana is a litmus test for for presidential candidates among Democrats. Um, and as you say, many of the mass shootings uh, go back to to marijuana. But in many other cases, uh, there's no real testing to find out what uh, the role of marijuana was. Uh, autopsies often uh, don't look for marijuana or uh, the results are unreliable. But, uh, you know, I can name a number of the mass shootings that have been linked to marijuana. You know, the the other way to find out if marijuana was involved is to interview uh, uh, family members and friends to find out if the individual was on marijuana. Uh, But of course, journalists are not especially eager to do that. Half of them are on marijuana themselves. So you really get a very hazy picture of of the role. Uh, But the fact is that in the past 10 years, the potency of marijuana, which goes back to THC, a compound that that uh, causes uh, uh, this hallucinogenic uh, effect, has gone from 4 percent on average to 17 percent. And a Secret Service uh, study found that. nearly half of the perpetrators of mass shootings had a history of substance abuse, mainly marijuana. Mm. Uh, And then uh, uh, studies have have found that uh, uh, among people who um, 
just in general, right. uh, people have five times greater chance of uh, having psychotic disorders if they smoke marijuana. Yeah. So it's an open shared case. And, and, you know, on the one hand, the Democrats have, have been responsible for, for the prevalence of marijuana. Not only are uh, half of the states legalizing marijuana, but the other half uh, allow it for medical reasons or uh, have no real penalties. Uh, and then on the other hand, the Democrats, uh, you know, love, uh, uh, love marijuana and, uh, you know, keep, keep railing about guns when, when in fact that would have no effect on, on uh, shootings. We're talking again, we're talking with Ronald Kessler, the uh, uh, investigative journalist and author. And, uh, and as he mentioned, and I'll get to this one, I want to ask you about the book, the secrets of the FBI in a moment, but uh, uh, that that's uh, towards the end of our conversation. Cause I want to stick with this. What I, I, the, the marijuana prevalence, I mean, you know, there's money to be made, right? Follow the money is always a pretty good filter. Follow the money. There's lots of money being made legalizing marijuana first medicinally. And then generally has been a boon uh, both of tax, dollars but lots of people making lots of money um uh, but having said that um th- there feels like in this country and this is where it overlaps with the FBI and your experience of uh, of the bureaucracies in the in law enforcement um you know we used to sort of say we're going to keep ourselves under control by the use of our laws now we sort of uh, use our laws just to express preferences either pick winners and losers in the economy or the preferences and it's not we're not keeping it under control i mean you see what i'm saying ron ronald yeah and you know and guess why democrats love to push marijuana because they get votes that way you know that's a way to increase their power because uh you know younger voters uh tend to uh smoke marijuana and uh so they love the democrats it's um it is uh amazing in your piece again uh, Ronald Kessler's piece uh it talks about uh, the number of states you know the the uh, uh 18 states and DC have legalized all all forms recreational use of marijuana i mean it's so medicinally uh common it's you know it's not even stopping you from uh trying to travel with it and and uh you know the but places like uh Colorado uh, which was an earlier uh early uh adopter i guess it's it's just a mess um uh Ronald where does it go you've again you've watched in 50 years some things ebb and some things flow in terms of uh, policy preference it doesn't feel like this one can ever you know sort of flow back it's kind of flowing one direction faster and picking up speed yeah i'm afraid there's there's no uh, no hope you know like so many things that are going on with the woke woke society uh you know we're just going downhill and, and i don't see any any change in the offing hmm. um but, you know, in terms of, of uh, mass shootings that have been linked to marijuana, just a few. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooter who killed right. 17 people. Yep. Right, right. Uh, and a number of others. Uh, it, it's very sad. Uh, Ronald Kessler is our guest uh, on Twitter. You can follow him at Ronald Kessler and his uh, website, which I'll put up on social media. Uh, you can go there. It's RonaldKessler.com. All right. I do want to get to this book. It's You, you wrote this uh, ahead of your time. In fact, one of the blurbs on your website, I think, was at Slate.com saying uh, Ronald Kessler is right uh, ahead of most people. Uh, the Secrets of the FBI, you wrote that about a decade ago, a little more than a decade ago, uh, looking at, at the FBI um, expressing some uh, uh, concerns then and some uh, recognizing some problems. It, now, Ronald, um, I mean, th- th- 
I've been using the phrase distrust and verify because trust and verify the old Reaganism, I, you know, and I mean a distrust and verify as to our own institutions. I mean, the FBI is is a shell of what it was, right? No, I would say that under James Comey, it, it was uh, very corrupt at the top levels, no question. Uh, but I think since Ray took over, uh, there had not been any actual uh, instances of improper conduct. Uh, you know, uh, the attorney general did push them to to threaten uh, school boards, but that was not the actually a lot of FBI people dis, disagree disagreed with that. That was that was the attorney general. But beyond that, um, really, they've been doing their 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 work, and and thank God because uh, the reason we're safe today is is we're not is that the FBI is on the job. I mean, they constantly roll up terrorist plots uh and uh you know a lot of times you don't hear about it but yeah. that's my take on the fbi now well that's good that's why i asked you um they do you have a over your career did you uh, have a sense it's not getting much coverage of mainstream coverage the the border what, what people call the border crisis the have you tracked that as an issue i mean it's another area where it doesn't feel like we have government working right well, absolutely. I, you know, that's that's so obvious. I, I like to <laughs> you know, write about things that people don't know about. Right. And secrets. And, and and that's so obvious. Uh, I, you know, I don't I don't write about it. Yeah. How about uh, how about one last line? Uh, we're, again, we're talking with uh, Ronald Kessler. His website's ronaldkessler.com. Lots of his writings there, both his books is, uh, and also his many essays. Uh, you've observed up close, no, known very personally, uh, members of, of, I don't know, three, four, maybe five uh, White House uh, administrations. The Biden administration, you have written a little bit about the, the uh, uh, Joe Biden, but do you have any uh, uh, anything uh, to your point, anything that is not being written about uh, observations that about with the Biden White House and what's going on. I mean, at this point, uh, Ronald, did, did, does he run again, even in the state he's in? No, I don't think so. You know, I interviewed Secret Service agents who were on his detail when he was vice president, and they just said he's lazy. You know, he, he liked to play golf and he liked to swim nude in front of female Secret Service agents. Uh, but, you know, he he's... Uh, and that's why he goes to Wilmington every weekend. He he really doesn't like the job that much. So I don't think he's going to run again. Huh. Okay. Well, see, that's why. That's why Ronald Kessler is a perspective. Hey, thanks very much, Ronald Kessler, again, over at Newsmax. He's got this piece on marijuana. I do think you, you described yourself well, writing about things that other people aren't talking about and that are important. And this is an important one. So thanks. Thank you for your time, Ronald Kessler. And we'll talk again soon. All right. Always appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Yep. We'll take a break, everybody. And I'll put that up. It's a great essay uh, on uh, marijuana and what's happening. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest, I have to say, Alan Gaff, uh, we, his uh, publicist and I were playing tag to finally get this set up. I'm really grateful. Um, he has uh, written a book uh, that I wanted to talk about when it was sent to me. I said, man, I, I got to get that one. And as my listeners know, uh, Mr. Gaff, that I get uh, people send me books so I can read them. It's a it's a great uh, it's a great thing to have the uh, <laughs> the chance to do that. And he uh, Mr. Uh, Alan Gaff is the author of a book that got a ton of attention, Bayonets in the Wilderness. Wilderness, and uh, that got attention. And now on to General Arthur St. Clair's 
1791 defeat of the Native Americans. It's called Field of Corpses and uh, Arthur St. Clair and the Death of the American Army. Now, I have to tell you, first of all, Mr. Gaff, my email address includes Ed Martin 1791, my private email address, which the 1791 is because that was the year that the last of the Bill of Rights was uh, was finally uh, approved by the state. So now I have another reason. Uh, so welcome to the program. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm fine. Looking forward to this. Thanks, Ed. Yeah. So, um, first of all, Field of Corpses. Um, tell us about the title. Uh, you know, that's a, my, my old boss, the late Phyllis Schlafly, says half of a book is the title. This is a great title, Field of Corpses. I immediately was like, "What? I need to check that out." Tell us about how you came up with the title, what the title means in the context of this. Well, thank you very much. Well, in the in the course of the campaign and battle of 1791 by General Arthur St. Clair the Indians <clears throat> scored their biggest victory ever against the American army in the course of three hours in a field that was approximately three and a half football fields in length. Uh, the American army lost 50% of its men. Wow. The, uh, the army itself consisted of about 1800 officers and enlisted men, about 200 civilians attached in one way or another to the army and one monkey. Hmm. <laughs> uh, um, the, in the book you refer to that, that you call it uh, the traditional name is St. Clair's defeat, which obviously describing this massive loss. We don't know anything about it. We know about Custer, you know, we know, we know about some defeats they come across I, I, popularly in, in our study of history it's um it's not uh not taught or not well known i guess for obvious reasons because nobody wants to talk about a defeat is that right <laughs> that that's part of it uh, i think the big problem with american history is it skips from the revolution to the war of 1812 and basically just ignores everything that happens in between those two periods so this happens to fall in that unknown period that you know, teachers don't teach, students don't learn, and it's just a, a big part of America that no one knows about. Would you describe that period? So, so now put a number on that. What, what would the time period up to 1812? Is it a 30-year period? And is it a period of, uh, of regular uh, battles, uh, regular um, uh, loss of life? What, what, is the, what, is that, what are those decades like? Well, th the biggest problem is the uh, the new America wanted to settle in what it was, would be the, the Northwest Territory. Mm -hmm. But the problem was, uh, even though America and Britain had signed a peace treaty, nobody had bothered to tell the Indians that uh, Britain had given away uh, their, their lands. Yeah. So it was a problem of America intruding on what had been traditionally Native American soil forever. And the Indians did not appreciate that and fought back. And since it was their basically home turf, uh, they had the advantage over the Americans who had to learn how to fight a wilderness fight as opposed to the European fights that they had had during the Revolution. Um, so and now St. Uh, Clair, St. Clair is um, tell us more about his career and was was he ruined uh, well, was his reputation? What, what, what was his career? Was he a heroic figure before this? And obviously, this was a great failure. Um, or was he unknown? What was it? Tell us about Saint Clair. 
Well, President Washington selected St. Clair to lead this army because he had been a general in the revolution, had not performed well. Maybe uh, the best you could say was he was an average general. But at the same time, he had been appointed governor of the Northwest Territory. So wow. Washington assumed, since he had this military background and had been basically the civilian overseer of the Northwest Territory, those two that combination of those two jobs would make him the ideal candidate to lead the army. And um, so he wasn't really he you wouldn't describe him as a um, as a particularly successful uh, general. I mean, he ended up in this spot. He lived for another. He lived into the 18. Well, 18. uh, I looked it up last uh, 1818. He lived. So he lived past this. Was he um, was he a um, uh, was he shamed? Was he, uh, you know, uh, considered a great failure or did people sort of not even realize during the time? Well, he was such a failure that. One of the things that resulted as a result of his campaign and loss of the battle was the first congressional investigation. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And in in typical fashion, uh, it set the standard for future congressional investigations because uh, nothing ever came of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The uh, meaning they did get they 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 got to understand it, but it didn't didn't uh, I mean, or didn't even uh, did they do nothing? I mean, what was the what was the uh, when you say that it didn't lead to anything? What 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 do you mean? I I think it was more of a political I see. Uh, decision sure. in in Philadelphia at that time, mm-hmm. um, more than uh, well, the the opinion of the country was totally against St. Clair. His army had consisted of soldiers from virtually all of the original 13 states. So it was a national army that paid the price. Um, the total loss of, of the army, according to the official uh, statistics, was 50.8% of those that were effective in the battle. Huh. So wow. Wow. it was, and, and like I say, it was in the, in the space of just like a little over three football fields long where almost all of those casualties uh, took place. And that's why I uh, named it field of corpses. When you um, finish this research and the, and the book is uh, over 400 pages. I mean, it's uh, it, when you finished, you know, the, the, the level of detail on this, it, you know, when you talk about it now, um, what is your what is the lessons to, to be learned? I mean, was the lessons the under underestimating the enemy was lessons, the incompetence of leadership? I mean, I think all of those are in there. But when you you know, you would you would be someone who lived with these facts for years to put this together. What What's your takeaways about uh, this that people could learn? Well, the, the thing that I think they learned at the time was that. St. Clair led the most incompetent campaign in American history. Mm-hmm. And he had, uh, well, to put it in the, in the best perspective, his successor, Anthony Wayne, spent two years raising an army, training an army, supplying an army, clothing an army, training an army, teaching his soldiers how to fire their muskets before he even came to the Northwest Territory and conducted his campaign that ended successfully at the Battle of Fallen Timbers. So it was like St. Clair did everything wrong. Anthony Wayne learned from his experience 
and did everything right when he got his chance. Uh, again, we're talking with uh, Alan Gaff and uh, his uh, book, which is uh, Field of Corpses, Arthur St. Clair and the Death of the American Army um, is uh when you how'd you get how, back to this point how'd you get to how did you get this story as how did you get this uh history as something you wanted to write on did you see this again i have never heard of it i mean i know you're you're a historian or and you do a lot of different writing and and work around this but how'd you find this one well uh as you mentioned before uh i also wrote bayonets in the wilderness which was a book on anthony wayne's campaign I, I did that because Fort Wayne, where I live, was hmm. named for, for Anthony Wayne. I see. So this is sort of like a precursor to the book that I read pre, uh, that I wrote previously. Um, what? So what's the next book? Have you is there, is there another set of events around the around those uh, uh, bookends that's coming next? Uh, no, but I do have a manuscript finished on Robert Rogers and his Rangers in the French and Indian War. Ah, wow. Wow. And I'm going to tell for for the first time in over 250 years, I'm going to tell the real truth about Robert Rogers. Oh, okay. Well, uh, listen, Alan Gaff, thank you for taking the time and and thank you for the chance to read this field of corpses, uh, Arthur St. Clair and the death of the American army. Extraordinary. As you mentioned, uh, the 1791, the the defeat of uh, general uh, St. Clair and his army in just a few hours. It's really uh, fascinating. And I appreciate you taking the time to do it and writing this history and then coming on. Thank you, sir. Oh, thanks, Ed. It's been great. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. I'll put up on social media links to this uh, and to his uh, both uh, uh, Mr. Gaff's uh, this work and also his previous ones. We'll do all that. Uh, it's very, very interesting. It, it, it really helpful to have these uh, histories being written. I'm glad and, and appreciate the fact that they're uh, published. I give a, a lot of credit to our friends over at uh, Post Hill Press and, and then their other affiliated uh, imprints that do this. It's an important work. So um, I, pr- I want to say thank you to them for that. All right. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America report back in a moment this is the phyllis schlafly report a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of phyllis schlafly now the president of phyllis schlafly eagles ed martin president joe biden escalated the u.s involvement in the no-win war in the ukraine in an echo of how a similar no-win escalation in vietnam ended the political career of democrat president lyndon johnson way back in 1968 By surprisingly visiting Kiev and promising increased American financial support for a corrupt regime on Russia's border, Biden is directly provoking the mighty Russian bear. Russia's President Putin quickly responded by suspending Russia's participation in the New START nuclear arms treaty, which is the only remaining major nuclear treaty between Russia and the United States. Putin's linking of nuclear weapons to Biden's actions is a chilling reminder of the growing risks of Biden's reckless intervention in that hopeless conflict. Biden imperils the United States even worse than LBJ did, because Russia has far greater military firepower than North Vietnam ever had. Russia has long-range missiles that could easily reach unprotected American targets, and so does its new ally China, which reportedly sent a high-level delegation to Moscow in order to increase ties between these former antagonists. Democrats should take a history lesson in how the Vietnam War issue took down LBJ in 1968 when he was at the peak of his political power and younger than the age of 60. He appeared invincible for re-election against a weak Republican opponent, Richard Nixon. But then an unfunded, obscure senator poet from Minnesota named Gene McCarthy, not to be confused with the anti-communist Joe McCarthy from nearby Wisconsin, 
challenged LBJ in the first presidential primary in New Hampshire. Resistance to LBJ's pro-war stance enabled McCarthy to embarrass the incumbent by denying him a majority. LBJ departed the race by the end of the month, and his vice president, Hubert Humphrey, was ultimately nominated by Democrats for what became a tight contest that fall. Then, as now, young voters were less pro-war than the Democrat politicians, and Nixon appealed to young voters by promising to bring an end to America's involvement in Vietnam. A similar fate may befall Democrats today if they don't learn an important lesson from history. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Whether it's the vision of our founding fathers, the courage of our veterans, the moral compass of Christopher Columbus, or the fortitude of presidents like Lincoln and Reagan, the truth of history should not be undercut by liberal ideology. At Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, we honor history even as we look to the future. Join us at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, uh, finishing up, we've got a couple minutes. I told you I'd give you an update on the basketball. Now, um, that was a heck of a... I, li- I liked the tournament this year. I don't know why I liked it more this year than uh, NCAA basketball tournament than in other years, but I just enjoyed it more. Um, we, uh, our family... Me and the kids, we all did um, brackets, but we really didn't maintain them. We didn't watch them closely. We just did them. And I actually picked UConn all the way through to the end to to win. Um, and the reason why is because Dan Hurley. Um, when I was a student, when I was a kid, went to high school in Jersey City, New Jersey. And um, across the way, across town from my school, St. Peter's, was St. Anthony's, where Coach Bobby, Coach Bob Hurley was the iconic coach. Now, Coach Bob Hurley who was a you know unbelievable coach for 30 years he had gone to my high school um he was an alum of my high school St. Peter's and so when i was a freshman the rumor was that coach hurley was going to switch and come over to our school and be our coach and his son bobby hurley who was uh, a year behind me was going to come with him well that never happened and so a couple of years later, his son, uh, his other son, Dan Hurley, uh, was in school. So when I was a senior, I played basketball. Uh, Bobby Hurley, who went on to play at Duke and then in the NBA, was a junior. And Danny Hurley was a freshman. And they played for St. Anthony's, who was had a great team. And they beat us uh, soundly. But in the summers, we always played. We all played in a summer league together in summer leagues, pickup leagues over at what's called White Eagle Hall, which was an old hall that Mr. Hurley, Coach Hurley, rented out, and we all played there together. So I knew those guys. I don't know them really well, and I didn't stay in touch with them over the years. But it was fun to watch UConn with with Bobby Hurley, excuse me, Dan Hurley as the coach. And it was actually really fun because of this. Dan Hurley was kind of the kid who couldn't catch a break. He was not as good as Bobby, his brother, so he went to Seton Hall, and he played. He played well. His dad was the dominant figure in the world. And so when Dan Hurley became a coach, everybody was like, oh, that's, you know, Coach Bob Hurley's son. And so the idea of him winning was really cool. Now, I have to say, I have a buddy that went to San Diego State. So I I really was uh, down the stretch. I was um, rooting for him and certainly rooting for them to get all the way to the championship. But it was really fun to watch when they showed the crowd and when they talked uh, to them. And here's one wrinkle. This is what I was going to tell you. I had a friend of mine, my San Diego State buddy, and he said, oh, I don't like that Dan Hurley. He seems like a highbrow guy. And I was like, a highbrow guy? That's like the opposite. The the Hurleys, Coach Hurley, who for 30-plus years was a high school basketball coach, was a probation officer. They didn't have any money. 
Um, they they grew up kind of working, you know, working folks. Mr. Hurley, Coach Hurley, I think he went to college, but they were a sort of middle class working, you know, Jersey City uh, family. And Bobby made it to the NBA, and Bobby got money for being in the NBA. And then Bobby actually bought a, a horse when he was a, a, a rookie, I think, or, or maybe his second year in the NBA. And it, it was a horse that was so good it ended up in the Kentucky Derby. Or uh, anyway, he got he got lucky, and so he made lots of money. Uh, but they weren't they didn't come from anything. And if you think of it again, if you watch Dan Hurley interviewed, he's just kind of a pretty regular guy and a, and a pretty good guy actually. And it's kind of cool again that he had he'd always been overshadowed by his brother and his dad, and uh, now he was the guy that was the star. So that was cool. So anyway, I'm I'm sorry for my friends that were San Diego State fans, but uh, it was fun to watch. And there you have it. All right. Um, Thank you, as always, to the great Noah Dingley, our producer, uh, also for uh, Ryan Hyde, our associate producer. Thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>